0: Amen. All right. For those of you who have been around, you know the drill while they're receiving the offering. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Uh, You're going to need a Bible or want a Bible this morning. And so if you didn't bring one, uh, you left yours in the car, you left it at home. There's one underneath the seat you're sitting in. It's a white Bible. Pull that out. Colossians 1 is where we're going to be in that white Bible. Um, it's on page uh, five seventy two. Page five seventy two. And um, if you don't own a Bible, like literally, you don't you don't have one at your house. You don't own one. Uh, take that one. It's our it's our gift to you. Um, that's on us. You you take you take that white Bible. It's it's yours to keep. Uh, Colossians one, page five seventy two. In in that white. Bible. We've been in Colossians now for five weeks, uh, walking through this. We're still in chapter one. Some of you are like, what? Um, we're going to finish chapter one today. We're going to begin chapter two. All right. So we're finishing chapter one. We're going to begin chapter two. So um, for those of you who are maybe are new to the Bible or maybe you've been around for a long time and you, you might not even know this, uh, when Paul wrote this, he wrote it just, just a letter to a church in a city called Colossae. He didn't write a book. There were no chapters. There were no verses. It's just, it's just a letter um and later people added chapters and verses to help people like you and me uh find things easier right so that we could say oh yeah i know where that's at it's in it's in chapter 1 verse 28 uh we can we can find things easier but when paul wrote it it was one thought it was just kind of a simple thing and um and so there's no divide between chapter 1 and chapter 2 in fact in colossians uh, one and two in particular, um, it's, it's one flowing idea, one flowing idea. So just to kind of catch you up so that you're not lost on this idea, here's what Paul's done so far in chapter one, right? The beginning of chapter one, he introduces himself. and He says, listen, church in Colossae, which is in modern day Turkey, church in Colossae, I have been praying for you. I have been praying for you. Paul is in Rome. He says, I have been praying for you. And I've been praying that you'd be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might walk in a manner worthy of him. I want you to know, I want you to know that the God who has done so much for you is not done with you. Paul prays that prayer constantly for them. And then he goes on to unpack the gospel and the way that he does that, the gospel of our salvation. The way that he does that um, is he talks about how big Christ is. It's one of the most beautiful scriptures in in all of the New Testament. Paul unpacks Christ and who he is. He is preeminent. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the first person ever rise from the dead. Um, he He is the creator of all things, whether on heaven or on earth. Not only did he create them, Paul says, they were made through him and for him. Everything that is exists for the praise and glory of his name. Paul paints this picture of an an amazing, mighty, powerful, beautiful, awesome, majestic God. He says, this is who our God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's like. And then he says, and you. And and you. And what he exactly says is, and you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Paul paints this picture of you and me um, as small, broken, fractured, rebelling against this beautiful, awesome, perfect, loving, preeminent God, turning away from him, committing treason against him, doing things our way, building our own kingdoms, believing that my way is better and, and you. But he didn't stop there. He doesn't stop there, right? He paints this massive gap, this expanse between the two. Perfect, beauty, righteous, glory, goodness, and you. Broken, alienated, far off, hostile, evil, right? He paints this massive expanse. Man, stop. He says, the God of the universe has filled this void. He he has created a solution to this problem. It was a mystery that was hidden for the ages, but it's now been revealed to the saints, to those who love Jesus, has been revealed to you and to me, it's been revealed. This mystery, this, this, this treasure, this goodness has been revealed to us, and, and this treasure is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says. What does he mean by that? He means that this perfect, unbelievable, majestic, beautiful, powerful God, preeminent God, Became a human being, paid the penalty for our brokenness, for, our, for the distance that exists between us, for our rebellion to him. He dies on the cross. He becomes death for us. He bears the weight of our sin and he exchanges all of our unrighteousness for all of his righteousness. He clothes us in his own righteousness. He cleanses us. But not only does he cleanse us and just leave us clean to go get dirty again, he takes up residence inside of us. This is the great mystery that Christ, for the follower of Jesus Christ, takes up residence inside of us. So we are no longer slaves to sin. We no longer have to obey sin. We're no longer um, the, in this is a sin that is within us. We no longer need to um, be filled with that sin. We can be filled with Christ. He's made a way for us to be reconciled to God. What do we do with that? That's all that Paul's talked about from the beginning of chapter one until verse 27. That's, that's it. That's, that's everything. We've been unpacking that for the past four weeks. If you want to learn more about those things, it's all online. What do we do with that? What do we do with this unbelievably good news? What, what do we do with this? What do we do with who Jesus is and who we were in the, the, the distance and the existence that once existed and now he's made a way for us to come back? To? What do we do with that? That's what Paul is going to talk about this morning um, at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And this is how it reads. I'm just going to read the end of chapter 1 for us real quick. He says this in verse 28. Him, Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, Everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me we're going to stop right there what do we do what do you do when when you have received this unbelievable gift right Uh, Pete talked about it earlier right this is the gift of God this is not your own doing this is the gift of God what do you do when you've received this unbelievable gift? When this, when this distance and this expanse in your life has been closed, and now, and now Christ is in you, the hope of glory. What do we do then? Him we proclaim, Paul says. We proclaim this good news. We tell people in our lives this good news. We proclaim it to ourselves. We remind ourselves about this good news. We tell our neighbors and our friends, our coworkers, our family members, our loved ones. We tell them this good news. We share it. Paul says last week we talked about it. He's a steward of this mystery, a steward of this gift. We steward it by proclaiming it. How do we do that? How do we do that? Paul says it this way. He says, Says uh, three things. First, he says, "Warning everyone! Warning everyone!" Now, this is an unpopular idea. Nobody likes to talk about this warning. You know, nobody wants to go around warning everybody. Listen, n- nobody likes the person who's always like, "Don't do that. That's dangerous. No, 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 play here. That's dangerous. No, don't, don't, don't do that." I don't know. Right? Um, people come over to my house, and we kind of... Maybe we're her horrible parents. I don't know. We let our kid maybe do some things that he shouldn't do, like climb up on counters and play with knives and stuff, right, and people come over to our house, and he's, like, on the counter, like, halfway off, and and we stress people out, and we're just like, what? I don't, what's wrong? I don't, I don't know. I had a friend in town a few weeks ago, and he was, like, legitimately stressed out because my kid's got one leg hanging off the counter, and he's, like, hanging, hanging out, like, he's fine. He's fine. He knows what happens when he falls because it's happened before, right? He's not going to fall. I promise you. He doesn't want to fall. don't report me, okay? Um, no, nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be the person that goes around saying, listen, if you don't know Jesus, like you're going to hell. If you don't know Jesus, you're eternally separated from God. If you don't know Jesus, there's this, ex- there's this distance, this expanse that exists between you and him and he's perfect and preeminent and good and he's treated everything and he's treated it for him, for his glory. He's, he's amazing and you're never gonna know him if you're over here and you're, if, and you're distant from him, and you're alienated, hostile. He, nobody wants to be that person. Paul says, This is what we do. This is what we do. Why? At Flourishing Grace, we talk about this, this idea. We talk about this idea a lot, actually. And if you've been around, you've heard me say this. You will never, you will never in your life understand the beauty and the joy and the delight and the fullness of grace in Christ if you don't know the depths of of sin and darkness and despair that you and I were in apart from Him. You'll never know it. Even if you have, even if you have received Christ and you've, you've declared with your life that, that you need Him, there's, there is a value and a worth of warning yourself, warning me, teaching me about sin and brokenness and seeing it in my life, observing it, and watching it in my life. There's value in that. Why? Because the more I understand this, the better this is. Right? Your kid comes home from school, straight A's. That's awesome. Why? Why? Because there was a chance that he had F's. You see, every single time, every single time in life there's there's ever good news, it comes out of at least, at the very least, a chance of bad news. Every single time. You cannot have good news without bad news. And the worse the bad news, the better the good news. This is just the reality of it, right? The doctor calls. Guess what? There's a cure. I found a cure for what you have. I know. I know it was hopeless. I know it was terminal. There's a cure. Tell me, which news is better, straight A's or a cure? Which one's better? Come on, guys. Like three guys in the front. Which one's better? Cure, right? Why? Because the disease is worse than F's. I'd much rather my kid get F's in school than than cancer. And we would all agree with that. The worse, the bad news, the better, the good news. If the gospel is the best news ever, and I believe it is, it must, of necessity, come out of the worst news ever. It has to. And this eternal separation from God, being alienated from the beauty and majesty of who he is, that is the worst news. And so I warn myself and I warn others, you got to know Jesus apart from him. It's so, it's so bad. But we don't stop there. I don't say, listen, apart from Christ, your life is hopeless. No, we teach. We warn and we teach. What do we teach? The beauty of Christ. How, how he has filled this gap and filled this void. He is the one who has reconciled us back to himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Put your hope in him. Trust him with all of your life. Wrap your life around him. And there is no fear of death. There there is no worry if there is no cure, because in the end, my eyes will close in death and they will awake to Christ. There is beauty and there's hope in him. We teach, we warn, and we teach. We proclaim his goodness. Just as Paul has done, how good he is, how broken we are, and how he alone could fill that gap and fill that void and make it right. And he has it's been a mystery that's been hidden through the ages. How was he gonna do it? How was he gonna do it? How was he gonna do it? We now know how he did it. The God of the universe did it by becoming a human and paying the human price. Putting all of the penalty and the punishment onto himself and bore it for me and for you. We warn and we teach. We proclaim him. We warn and we teach. And then the last thing he says is we toil and struggle. And again, not a popular thing, right? Nobody likes to toil and struggle. That doesn't sound fun, right? But that's what Paul says. And for this reason, I toil and I struggle. I work at this, man. I, 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 don't just, I don't just talk about it. I don't just pray about it. I work at this. And the reality is that for many of us in this room, that we have friends in our lives, family members in our lives, that we desperately want them to know Jesus. And so we pray for them. Or we ask others to pray for them. We have a whole wall of names over here. These these are people in our lives that we love, that live in South Davis County, that live near us, that we've written down, we've tackled them all. said, man, I'm going to pray for them. And as a church, we're going to pray for them. And we do. And it's good. It's right. But if it stops there, you've missed it. Yes, Christ alone redeems. Christ alone restores. Christ alone pursues us and woos us and calls us back to himself. But it's for that reason. It's for that reason that we toil and struggle. With all his energy, with all his might, Paul says, with, with everything that he's given me, I pour out into the lives of my friends, my family members, and coworkers so that they might know the beauty of Christ in themselves, not just in me. It's work. It takes time and energy and effort. And that energy, Paul says, it comes from him. Everything that he gives me, every, everything that he fills me up with, every, every ounce of it, I pour out into the lives of my friends, my neighbors, and my coworkers. What's the end game? What's the goal of all this? What's the goal of the warning, the teaching, the toiling, the, the, the struggling? What is it? Paul tells us, right? He says this. He says it this way. Um, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The goal is that one day when Christ returns that every single person in my life would be presented mature in him, right? This idea of maturity is not a timeline, okay? It's a maturity line. I know, confusing. Um, over here, is immaturity. It's, it's I don't really know much about Jesus. I don't know who he is, but I, I believe that he exists, but I, I don't really know him. Over here is this full maturity in Christ. I know Jesus. I know him. I know his word. I know his voice. I know Christ. I spend time and hours and hours with him. I know him. This is not a timeline, it's a maturity line. There are people who have been coming to church for years and years and years and years and they're still over here. They're doing all these things and they're, they're, they're creating this, this idea of maturity, but they don't know Jesus. And there's people who are farther along, they're, they're closer to over here, and, and they, haven't been, they haven't been doing this thing for very long at all. But Christ is working in them and they're giving more of their self to Him and they're, they're getting to know Jesus rather than trying to clean up their lives. This is, this is the path to maturity. They're allowing Christ to work in them. This is the end game that we would present everyone mature in Christ, that I would be presented mature in Christ, that you be presented mature in Christ, that our friends, our neighbors, our family members would be presented mature in Christ. Here, here at Flourishing Grace, we. You use the language, right? Leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That's what we're all about, right? And so that, this, this idea of leading someone into a relationship with Jesus, it begins here, but leading someone into a flourishing relationship with Jesus is maturity. That is the end game. We, we want to present everyone um, in a flourishing relationship with Jesus, a mature relationship with Jesus. What does this look like? How, how do you know? How, how do you know if you have a mature relationship with Christ, if you are mature in Christ. How do you you know? Paul's going to go on. He's actually going to give us a few things, a few indicators of maturity. In the beginning of chapter 2, he writes it this way. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. We talked about Laodicea a couple times already. It was a neighboring city where there would have also been a church. They would have read this letter as well. that their hearts, um, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may be deluded with plausible arguments. All right, we'll stop right there. There's three things, three things that kind of leap off the page that are in this text that Paul says, man, you want to know what your maturity looks like? It looks like this, right? My goal is that everyone would be presented mature in Christ. I do that by proclaiming him, warning, teaching everyone, toiling, struggling, right? And, and so my prayer is, my hope is, right? The first thing he says is that we would grow closer in community. The way that he says it is that their hearts would be encouraged being knit together in love. Why do I do this? What does maturity look like? That, you, that you would, your heart would be encouraged and that as a community, the church in Colossae, the church in Laodicea, the church right here in Bountiful, South Davis County, Flourishing Grace Church, their hearts would be knit together in love. That you would be encouraged and knit together in love. How does maturity in Christ produce this within us? You see, maturity in Christ means that we know Jesus. We know the gospel. We know the story that we've unpacked. We know the distance that exists between who he is and who we are apart from him. And when you know the warning, right? We talked about earlier, right? When you know how, how just ultimately how bad it is. Apart from Christ, you know, you know that there's no way to make up the gap, that there's nothing that you can do to fulfill this separation between God and humanity. When you understand that and you understand the implications of that, who are you going to judge, man? Who are you going to look down upon in your life and say, well, at least I'm not that bad? You're eternally separated from God. Like the worst news. When you realize that this is the worst news, you realize that suddenly um, being addicted to drugs is not as bad. I would much rather be addicted to drugs than than be separated from Christ. I I would much rather uh, struggle with addiction. I would much rather struggle with the need to control things than, than be separated from Christ. Listen, apart from Christ, it is the worst news. I would much rather have cancer than be separated from Christ. I would much rather um, have terminal illness than be separated from Christ. I would much rather um, be absolutely uh, isolated and alone than be separated from Christ. Who are you going to judge? Who are you going to say, like, at least I'm not that bad? No, it, when you realize that we are in the position, all humanity is in the position of the worst possible standing. Man, you. you there's no, there's no one to judge. And so all, all that's left is a kindness towards others around you. There's no more pride. There's no more pride when you understand the fullness of the gospel because you realize that Jesus has literally done everything for me. What did I do to earn this? Nothing. What, what did I do to, to gain his favor? Jack. What, what did I do to... Um, to, to get him to move into my life and to take a presence inside of me, the hope of glory, right? What, what did I do? I got nothing for you. I, I just said, listen, I'm helpless. I need you. That's what I did. And so so who, what, where's my pride? What's my pride in? I'm good at this thing or that thing? Listen, the only thing that I have to boast in, the only thing that you have to boast in, is Christ. He's the only thing in life that we have to, to brag about. To say, "Look what I have! I have fulfillment. I have contentment. I have joy because of Christ." That's all, all I got. That's all I got. And so, we're, we're, so the, in Christ, there's no need to be the God. There's no need to be the person who who can do this thing that nobody else can do. There's no need to 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 have this thing that nobody else has. Like those things are gone. They're gone. There's no longer a need to say, man, things need to be my way, or I need to control this thing. Or Those things are gone in Christ. All that's left is love and encouragement towards others. Even when there's like nothing left in our lives, like everything's crumbling around us, we still have Christ, and so we can still encourage and love people. I have nothing in the bank, and everything in and around me is failing, but I still have Christ, and so I still have encouragement and love for you, and you have it for me. You see, if I can be so bold for a moment, the reality is is that for a long time, and for a lot of people, the church—not flourishing ground—I'm big C church, right—has been known as a place of, of of judgment, holding people at a distance because they have they have something in their lives, a, a stain, a sin. They're, they're they're addicted to this thing, or um uh that. Um, they're gay or they're, they're whatever. Like, we hold them at, you I like, don't know. No, no. You only come so close. We're known for that. Even internally, bickering, quarreling, who's, who's better? How should things be? Things got to be this way. You no, know, things got to be that way, right? And this strife and jealousy within the church? Listen, there is no maturity in that. It's like that's childish behavior. Not even in Christ it's childish behavior. Like, apart from Christ, that's childish behavior, but maturity in Christ it is absent there. There's no fear of God in that. There's, there's, there's no understanding of the gospel in that. It's absent, it's void of that. Man to care about the things of this world with such, with such fervor and zeal. There's no maturity in that. To cling to them saying it's gotta be this way. No. All I have is Christ. And he gives me this energy, this ability this, to, to love and encourage those around me. And the day, the moment that someone comes that can do it better than me, that can preach and proclaim the gospel better than me, that can, that can lead the church better than me, man, get me out of here. Let them do it. Let them do it. All I have is him. I, I don't need to be the guy. I don't need to be the one that's known. Can we declare that with our lives, with everything in our lives? Second thing that Paul gives us um, is we grow in a greater assurance of understanding. The way that he says it is this: He says, um, "To reach, to reach is in verse two, chapter two, verse two, um, being knitted together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ." In whom are hidden the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this, the riches of full assurance and understanding um, is, this, is this thing that's a mark of maturity. A mark of maturity in Christ is when we have um, the wealth, the riches. Now, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about monetary. I'm talking about riches of understanding, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus and, and, and having this assurance in him. I'm assured that no matter what happens tomorrow, I am in Christ and He is in me. There is wealth and value in that. Every human being who has ever lived longs for it, whether they realize it or not. Right? GK Chesterton didn't say it, but but everybody says that he says it, said it. He, he, didn't, he actually didn't say it, but there's a famous quote. Um and he says, Man, even, even the guy who's knocking at the door of a brothel is looking for God. Every human being is searching for the answers of life. Man, is there a God? I I don't know. What is he like? I I don't know. Um, If if there is a God, what is is his view of me? If there isn't a God, where did I come from? If there is a God, where did I come from? Where am I going to go when I die? What is God like? Who is he, right? Every soul is haunted with these questions. And even the guy knocking on the door of a brothel is looking for answers to the same exact question. There's a reality, man. Every human being wants to know. Everybody in your life wants to know. Your neighbors and your friends, people in your life who pretend to not care, care deeply about that question. And there's worth in it. There's value in it. And to stand mature in Christ is to have the full riches of assurance. I know who he is, and I know how he views me. I know how he views my life. I know how he views the entire world. I know what he's like. I know what he's like. I know why he does what he does. Not fully, not completely. He's still God. He's still beyond my grasp and my imagination. But I have the riches of assurance with all wisdom and knowledge because all of it's in him. The more I know him, the more I know about everything that I need to know about There's wealth in that. Last piece, Paul says this, he says, um, we're protected from confusion. The way that he writes it is he says it this way. um, Verse four, I say this in order that no one may be deluded with plausible arguments, right? The reason why I teach, um, I warn and I teach, the reason why I proclaim him, I don't want you to be deluded with plausible arguments. What does that mean? Well, the reality is that no one, no one is confused um, with implausible arguments. Okay, um, if you say uh, Jesus was actually a woman, um, no one's like, "Oh yeah, totally, I, I I buy into that." Like that's no one. It's just it's just implausible. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense, right? But there are plausible arguments. There's lots of plausible arguments, right? Any of you guys know Bill Nye the Science Guy? Anybody, anybody like my age and you grew up watching Bill Nye the Science Guy, right? Bill, 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 Bill Nye, no? You're just going to leave me hanging like that? That's cool. Bill Nye the Science Guy, man, I, I grew up every single day watching Bill Nye, like third, fourth grade, like he was, he was the guy at school, they turned turn him on on the TV and we'd learn about science, I guess. It was really more like magic tricks with science and so it was cool. Um, and, and now Bill Nye is like the guy who um, just doesn't believe in Jesus. And he's created all of this um, science that, that says it just can't be. It can't be. If you just Google Bill Nye, he's disproven everything in the Bible with science. Um, even though, never mind. Um, but the thing is, when it comes to plausible arguments, right, Bill, Bill Nye presents plausible arguments, right, for the lack of possibility of Noah's Ark. It's, it's a plausible argument, right? And if you are over here, immature in faith in Christ, you're like, well, yeah, dude, if Bill Nye says it's true, then, then I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to believe that. If you're in the middle, you're like, that's really confusing. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, how is it that science says this, uh, I don't know, right? But if you are mature in Christ, it doesn't affect you. I love science. I think it's brilliant and beautiful, and, and, and every time, like, I just literally, in the past few months, they've talked about these two stars, um, that millions of years ago collided and we're still feeling the effects of that. And by feeling the effects and measuring the effects, they've pinpointed the location and they can actually see these two masses that have collided with each other and they can see it. It's crazy to me. It's awesome. Like, I love, I love that stuff. It doesn't phase doesn't my faith. It doesn't, doesn't affect my belief in God right when questions come it's like man how could God allow horrible things to happen to to people who are seemingly good right if you're over here you you are angry with God maybe you don't even you're just like I'm out there's no way there's no way that God's that way and so I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna bother I'm not, even, I'm not even gonna believe anymore if you're in the middle you're confused by that you're wrestling with it i mature in Christ man. listen I know who I am apart from Christ I am that evil person. And none of them, none of them, not not one person is inherently good because apart from Christ. And and I understand that that's not how God created it to be and how he intended it to be. And I realize what it communicates to me, mature in Christ, is is that the world is actually in need of a savior. It makes, everything makes sense to me when I'm mature in Christ, when I'm grounded and rooted in his word. The plausible arguments Roll off my back. They actually drive me closer to him. So Paul, Paul lists these things, these ideas of maturity. He says, man, we must proclaim Jesus in order that people might move to a place of maturity in him. And here's all the reasons why that we must be moving to maturity in him. Well, how do we do that? How do we move from immaturity to maturity, right? So if this is what it looks like and it's what we're supposed to do, how do we actually do it? Paul's going to give it to us. Here's the last piece and then we'll be done. Chapter two, verse five. Though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, right? Paul's in prison in Rome, writing this letter, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here it is, verse six. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, and established, mature, flourishing in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Some of some of us in this room have been. Um, Coming into church, to church for a long time. We have have worked incredibly hard at something in our life that has captured us, taken us captive, right? Maybe for you it's an addiction. Maybe for you it's a thing that you feel like I must control this thing. If I don't control this thing, it's gonna destroy everything. I must be the one in charge of this thing. Maybe for you, it's um, someone else in your life that you're like, dude, no, I must be responsible for them, And, and, and you're exhausted. You've been fighting sin for so long, you are tired. Some of you are on a different plane, a different spectrum, but it's the same thing. You have been creating a facade of righteousness for so long, right? I want to be known as mature, and so therefore I do all of these things. I mark off all of these boxes. I check it all. I get it all done. I do it all right so that I might be mature in Christ. Maybe even fooled yourself into thinking that you are mature in Christ. You're tired, man. You are exhausted. Because inside, inside, even though you give the appearance of not being angry, you are angry. Even though you give the appearance of not not, um, being prideful, you are deeply prideful. Inside your heart and your soul is in turmoil, but you're, you're creating the facade. You've got it up. You've got, you've got the glass walls. And everybody thinks you're mature in Christ. But you know. You know. You're tired. You're exhausted. Friends, let me just read this for you one more time, right? Therefore, Verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ? Did, you, did we talked about this already? How did you receive Christ? Did you do something awesome? Did you, did you do something incredible that that in some way should reform, like got you there? Did you clean up your life and get everything perfect and everything in order, and suddenly you're like, all right, I'm ready now for you, Jesus? Is that how you receive Christ? Listen, I got rid of this addiction. I got rid of this problem. I got rid of this thing. I'm ready now to receive. Is that how you did it? No, man, we stand over here and we are warned. And we see the depths of our sin. We see the depths of our despair. And we say, I am hopeless, apart from you, Jesus. I need you. I have no strength to clean up my life. I need Christ to step in. I have no ability to to, to jump or to close this gap or this expanse. I need Jesus to come in to me and make me righteous, to wash me white as wool, pure as snow. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. All we did was declare that we can't do it. I'm unable to do it. So So as you received him, walk in him. Stop trying to do it. Declare to him that you can't. Paul says, with his energy, I declare. With his energy, I toil. With his energy, I struggle. I can't do it. I am immature What I need is not a cleaner life. What I need is not a better life. What I need is not um, less, uh, uh, less of this thing or that thing. What I need is more of Christ. That's the mark of maturity. All the things that Paul lists are simply a result of more Christ in my life, more of Jesus in my life. So what I need is more of Christ. I need to know him. I need to read his word. I need to spend time with him. I need to meditate on him. I need to draw near to him. I need to proclaim the gospel to myself every single day. I need to remind myself. I need to warn myself of the brokenness. I need to warn myself that sin is in me. It is always fighting to burst forth. It is always fighting to come out. And the only answer to that is Christ. He is the ultimate answer and he's the temporary answer. I declare the gospel to myself. I move towards Christ. I cling towards Christ. I spend time with him, time in his word. And that moves me towards maturity. Not because I'm I'm working to become more loving or more encouraging. I'm not working to to fight off plausible arguments. I'm just working to know him. The other day I was in Lowe's. And um, craziest thing. A dog walks in the front door no no lie by himself not not with a person like just a dog just walked in the front door door slide open dog walks in and i see this dog walk in and i look at the people who are right there they're working they're on staff at lowe's they they work there and they you can just see in their face they're like a dog wait a dog somebody should do something about that dog Wait, I work here. I, sh- I should do something about that dog. And they, they begin to pursue this dog. And they chase after this dog. And um, they're calling this dog. Hey, come here. Come back here. Hey. And they're trying to grab the dog. The dog's fast. It's like this great big uh, American uh, uh, bulldog. This goofy looking funny, awesome little dog. And big dog. And um, the, the customers start joining in. Like, come on, come on, come on here. Even I'm joining in. I'm like, come on, dog. Hey, right here. Come on, come on, come on. Dog don't care. He didn't care. It's like almost like we're not even there, right? It's like it's like nobody is even calling him. He's not even looking at us. I gave up. Whatever. It's a dog. We'll figure it out. Like literally minutes later, I'm standing there and all of a sudden here comes the dog again. I'm like, golly, this dog. And he and he sees something. And he starts running towards him. And the person standing there in the aisle with me is like, a dog. That's my dog, right? And all of a sudden, like, the dog is there and he's jumping up on him. He's like, what are you doing here, right? How, how did you get here, right? The dog had crawled out of the window of the car, ran across the parking lot into Lowe's and didn't give a rip about anybody. He was looking for his owner. And you know Jesus that way we we amid everything in this world like no 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 come on come on this way come on come on this way you need this you need to control this you need more of this in your life you need to be more this way can you can can you just just ignore all of it like it's not even there cuz you know him you know him you know his voice you know his you know what he looks like you know what he sounds like you know him you know his word you know what he believes you know what you know what he values you know how he sees you do you know him? And with a single-minded pursuit, only Jesus, can you, can you track after him that way? Ignoring all the rest, saying only Jesus. Things are going to pursue me. Things are going to haunt me. Things are going to creep into my life. And I just focus single-mindedly on him. That's maturity. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you and I know in this room there are people who are exhausted. I mean, I mean exhausted. They have been given everything they have to create something that is uncreatable. Un- Only you can create it. Freedom from sin, we can't do that. Finding true joy, we don't have that true hope we don't have that true assurance we don't have that control over the future we don't have that control over the present we do not possess it lead us into maturity give us a greater picture of who you are give us a greater picture of our sin show us the gap show us the distance proclaim the gospel to us again and again and again Let us draw near to you. That is the mystery. That is is the hope that we are able to now draw near to you. You you are in us. Sin no longer needs to reign in our mortal bodies. We we have Christ. We're no longer slaves to it. We have Christ. We're slaves to righteousness. Call us by name. Draw us near. Maybe this morning we need to give up something in our lives that's been pulling our time away give us one in our lives that's been pulling our affections away, that we've begun to love more than we've begun to love Jesus. What is standing in between you and Him? What is, what is it? What's causing this exhaustion? Rid your life of it and fill it with Christ. In Him, encouragement and love, full of riches of, ins- of assurance, and this ability to, to not be deluded or confused by the questions of this world. We need you, Jesus. Fill us up, pray. Praise in your name. Amen.